Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us on a cloudy day here in the capital as once again we ensure we have a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership. My name is Scott Challoner and I'm delighted to be joined first on the programme today by Robert Harwood. Robert is Director at the Portland Hotel in Buxton, Derbyshire. Robert, very warm welcome to you and thank you ever so much for taking the time to join us today. Thank you. Thank you very much. It's a real pleasure having you with us, Robert. Now, the purpose of this discussion is to establish, first and foremost, your take on leadership. And I think it's fair to say that leadership is something that we're really seeing being put to the test at the moment, aren't we? With the emergence of the COVID-19 situation, no less, and the need for leaders of businesses, institutions, communities and governments to try and chart a course through this unprecedented crisis. For somebody working within hospitality such as yourself, which of course has been really stricken during this time, how has it been over the last few months? I can imagine the challenges have been tremendous for you. Yeah, yeah, <clears> there <throat> certainly has been challenges. Um, you know, at the end of March, uh, we were looking forward to uh, a busy year, a busy spring, a busy summer. Um, and then obviously government news that uh, hospitality needed to close down, theatres, which is an important part of our business, the Buxton Opera House, had to be closed for, for festivals. And um, and then suddenly, you know, the business started disappearing within a fortnight. Um, cancellations coming in via email, via telephone calls. Um, it, it, it was quite a uh, it was quite a strain, really, to see it all disappear. And obviously, within within ourselves, we were saying, well, this might only last a fortnight, but it went on a little bit longer than that. And um, so, yeah, that 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 was the first part of it. Uh, once that was over we began to think about the future and what we were to do. And we, we, we decided to take on a, a proactive approach and say, so, well, let's, let's try and get every area of the hotel smartened up as best we possibly can uh, before, we, you know, before we reopen. So that's, that's the steps that we took. And, um, and we're very pleased that we did. Um, and we were being, um, we've been, the, the third part of the, of the process was, was getting the business back in. And we've been quite aggressive with our pricing and our marketing, thinking to ourselves, you know, when everybody opens, everybody's going to be opening as a brand new business. Everybody's going to be opening with an empty order book. So there's going to be a lot of choice out there for customers. And uh, we needed to, uh, um, we needed to, we needed to um, just get, just, uh, um, sorry, we needed just to, um, be be, uh, be very aggressive out there and get some business in. Mm. So that's uh, that's that's where we were really, and um, and and it's paid off. We 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 reopened on July the fourth, and um, we've um, we've done well. We, the first week it's gone well, so um, that, that that's been very 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 uh, encouraging. That's certainly positive uh, to uh, hear, Robert. And um, throughout the uh, the pandemic thus far, just because there's been a great deal of debate as to just how clear communication and indeed guidance from the government has been, have you sort of been satisfied that you've sort of known what's coming throughout this period and you've been clear as to what's expected of you to reopen and reopen safely? Or has it been a little bit more sort of complicated and improvised than that? No, I, I think I think we, you know we, we we all we all have to use our own initiative at the same time. It's so easy just to say, "Oh, well, this is not clear, or that's not clear." You know, I think we use a bit of common sense and, and initiative, and um, and what what's achievable. Um, then most of us can can get through this. Uh, one of one of the uh, 
one of the things that uh, I've noticed at schools, when the schools were looking at reopening, there was some marvellous, marvellous and uh, dynamic thoughts by teachers and head teachers and schools in general about how they were going to deal with it. Then there were others who were using words like it's impossible. And mm. really, that's, that's not the type of words you want to be using in the school. It's impossible because it, uh, it can become ingrained into young people's minds that things are, in, you know, are impossible, whereas that's when you don't want to be hearing those words. You want to be uh, inspired to, to be able to do anything. And um, so I, th- I think that um, it, it, there's been a real eye-opener across the board, um, not, not just my industry, but um, many, many industries. Um, uh, remarkable pieces of work and um, initiatives that people have undertaken. I think it's absolutely right what you say there, that people during this time, even in the wake of difficulty, have had to sort of use their initiative and try to inspire people to think, Mm. yes, this actually can be done and we can get through this. You know, when um, you're sort of at the top of the tree in a business and you're in a leadership position, of course, it's your role to inspire. But when you need to look to somewhere for a little bit of inspiration, where do you look to for that as and when you need it? Um, that's a good. That's a really good question because you know we we, we are a privately owned business. Um, there's no head office for me mm. to approach. Um, there's no other branches um, of, of, of people in a similar position to me. Uh, I really need to draw upon my experience um, of, of things I've done in the past and how I've dealt with things in the past. And maybe I've not dealt with a, a COVID-19 situation before, but I have dealt with, you know, difficult, difficult times within the hotel industry in various hotels that I've worked in. And, and you just draw upon those experiences. And sometimes mm. I think you draw upon them subconsciously. You don't actually think, well, that's what I was doing in those days. It's just there in your mind. And, and somewhere it comes forward and, uh, and you deal with it. I think experience, as you say there, is um, a fantastic teacher. And would you say that the experience of managing this pandemic has taught you anything as a hospitality business leader? Yeah, yes, I think think it has. It's it's about being resourceful. And again, you know, if we if we if we look and say, well, you know, what's our objectives? What what are our objectives? And then, what resources have we available to actually achieve those objectives? And and you look around and you and you find those objects. So you find those resources, and um, and, and that's what we all need to do. Uh, yeah, I think that's that's the best way of treating it, really. And thinking about sort of going forward as we sort of adjust to the challenges of the uh, the new normal and what that's uh, going to bring, um, there are going to be some changes in place within the uh, the hospitality sector um, with, of course, social distancing in place, albeit it has been reduced now to one metre plus by the uh, the Prime Minister. Um, do you sort of see that having um, a positive sort of long-term impact on the, uh, the industry and in that it will be able to sort of operate almost as it was before? Or do you think there will be some real wholesale changes? Well, I, I, I mean, just, just just from from my own from my own business here, my own building, um, w- the 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 time the time of day where most people are gathering together is, is at breakfast time, and, and we've we've allocated four time slots for breakfast, and we're getting pre-orders for breakfast, and we have a large ground floor area, so we're quite fortunate in that we can give everybody a table and then there's a table space 
before the next table um, in, in, in space-wise. And um, we're very fortunate with that, but it must be very, very difficult for establishments that uh, under normal circumstances have to relay tables at breakfast or for meals um, because you know, uh, then you're, you're almost having people waiting for a table to become available. Uh, so that must be very, very difficult. But overall, you know, uh, we, we, we've set it up quite well here now. And, and uh, I think social distancing is just something that, um, you know, if, if it becomes the norm, um, I think we're okay with it. I think we'll be okay with it. That's certainly um, encouraging to uh, to hear. And then as we sort of adjust decisively to uh, that uh, new normal, um, what do you really hope to achieve as a business over the course of the uh, the next year as um, you sort of get to grips with those challenges? Well, we, we've, uh, um, we, we've made a huge investment a couple of years ago into the ground floor area of the hotel. And um, one of my aims has always been, and this is going back many, many years, is to try and rent or lease that area out to an independent restaurant operator rather than trying to run it ourselves. And um, we, th- we think as we stand at the moment, we've been very successful in um, attracting um, a, a restaurant operator to take it on from, from the autumn onwards. And, um, and that, should, that should indeed bring us extra revenue into the business, of which will immediately be spent on improving the, uh, the bedroom accommodation of the hotel. It's a real win-win for uh, for everybody, really. Let's certainly hope there'll be some positive news to uh, to share on uh, that front in the uh, the coming months, uh, Robert. And just yeah. before I uh, let you go, as a final point, if you did have to give some advice to somebody who was maybe about to start their first day in a leadership role in any business, what sort of advice would you give them based on your own experience? Right, yeah, I think I think I, you need to have a passion for your subject. And uh, that passion will drive you to be able to do the job well yourself and inspire others um, to, 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 to follow you uh, along the way. If you, it, it all starts from that passion. If you haven't got the passion uh, for a particular subject, uh, then to be honest, it, it may be quite difficult to become a leader. And uh, you be a good communicator, uh, a strategic thinker, you to have um, uh, empathy and being a, a great listener. And um, I've, I've, see, I've seen some wonderful pieces, you know, by young, uh, young people. Um, I noticed that um, applications for nursing qualifications has risen by 63%. And I think young people are being inspired by what they've seen from the NHS. The NHS haven't come out and spoken about asking people to join the become nurses but it's what they've done it's their action their action over the past three months has inspired young people to say you know what i want to be part of that and that's what we need to be looking at we need to be looking at how we can get young people inspired into doing something that they feel that they they can make a difference and and be passionate about and there was a young lady a young lady um, in in preston who was a, um, a carer only a teenager and she uh, she took it upon herself to, to do something for one of her uh, residents uh, by having a, a cushion made with a photograph of his wife who had sadly passed away, so he could cuddle it each evening. Now that that was that was a young lady there. She probably wouldn't know this, but that's a young lady there that is displaying great leadership skills and uh, and and 
she, she was just doing the right thing. And managers do things right, but leaders do the right thing. And I, I hope that that young people will find inspiration from all of this and decide that, that that's a, a particular route that they want to take in the rest of their lives. Let's certainly hope so. And uh, Robert, I have to say, it's been a real, real pleasure having you uh, join us on the uh, the programme today. And I think it would be fantastic to catch up and have you back on the show at some point in a few months, just to see how things are getting on as we decisively move into the new normal and embrace those challenges. Right. It's been a pleasure. Thanks very much indeed. Thanks very much, Robert. I was speaking today to Robert Harwood, director at the Portland Hotel in Buxton, Derbyshire. And coming up next on today's programme, I'll be handing over to Jonathan White for his exclusive interview with Liz Field, the chief executive of the Personal Investment Management and Financial Advice Association. That would be the trade body for firms that provide such services for both individuals and families. I hope that you enjoy listening just as much as Jonathan relished the opportunity to speak with Liz. And all of that is, of course, coming up next. I'm Jonathan White and we're joined today by Liz Field, CEO of PIMFA, Personal Investment Management and Financial Advice Association. What a great mouthful. Liz, thank you very much for coming on today. No, thank you for inviting me. No, not a problem. A complete pleasure. And I think uh, it would be a great place to start, if we may. There's maybe a little bit of background uh, for the listeners. Obviously, PIMFA does work in uh, uh, across the board these days, but of course it was only founded uh, uh, three years ago when, of course, um, MAPFA and uh, the WMA were merged. That's right, yes. Um, I think it really was a, a reflection of of where the industry was going in terms of uh, the provision of financial advice and helping individuals with their um, personal financial futures that we felt that it was necessary for the two bodies to merge together. Um, but both, had, well, certainly the Wealth Management Association and its predecessors have been around for nine, well, nearly 30 years yes. now, actually. But you're quite right. Um, as PIMFA, it's, it's been nearly three years now. And the uh, probably a very wise move because uh, the, the uh, uh, PIMFA has been going from strength to strength uh, since. Uh, what would you say at the moment uh, is are, are, are the priorities uh, for yourselves there? Um, I think there are a number of priorities. I mean, we represent a diverse group of um, of businesses, which all have one thing in common, which is that they face the clients, they they face the consumer. Um, so whether that is face to face or whether that is um, online. Uh, it's all about helping individuals to plan and save and invest um, for themselves and for their families. Uh, but we're going through uh, a number of, of key challenges. I mean, um, looking at a, 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 a macro level, if you like, um, markets are a little turbulent. Um, it's it's very challenging um, to um, kind of navigate the the uh, investment management world so uh, even more reason why you need a financial advisor and uh, and an investment management firm to help you um, because it is quite a complex arena and that's not helped by the lack of financial education uh, more generally so um, if you have that as a backdrop uh, and then politically you have what's going on um, with post-Brexit uh, and where 
the rules are going to come from in future, all of that is still to be negotiated. Um, so it, it's a whole melting pot of issues that uh, that our firms are trying to face. Oh, without a doubt, I think uh, it maybe Lizzie, there's quite a few understatements there in terms of the challenges that are yes. occurring <laughs> at the moment. But there's quite a lot to pick up uh, uh, on the on those points because uh, I, I think it's 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 a, it's a unique time almost, Lizzie, isn't it, where there are a different set of challenges that advisors and individuals are uh, being confronted with from a lot of different angles. Um, and perhaps if we can start, let's start at the beginning, in fact, you bring up the issue of financial education. Yeah. Now, that's something I think uh, you can talk to anybody in the business and they'd agree with you on that front, Liz. We don't do it properly in this country. Where no. do you think, Liz, it should start from and how do we fix it? Okay, so I think, I mean, the first thing to say is that there's a lot of fantastic effort that we see across the whole of the financial services sector, uh, our sector um, amongst that, where they they try and go into schools um, and provide financial education. You go onto any website um, of some of our members and they've got some great educational material. Um, but there isn't a national framework that 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 wraps itself around the whole of the financial education efforts within our industry. And without that, um, I think they're, they're the, the businesses are facing a lot of um, barriers when it comes to actually getting into schools. Um, I mean, financial education is part of the, um, per, I think it's personal health and social education um, a piece of the curriculum, but there isn't an exam um, that's at the end of it. So when it comes to schools and, and how they're being judged, it's on metrics such as um, exams and without an exam for financial education, um, I think uh, it's go- it's just it's just going to keep coming up against the same barriers. Mm. Um, and financial education is not the same as maths. So uh, what we'd also quite like to see is is that we have more um, kind of money type questions within the maths curriculum because that will also then bring it to life uh, for young people for uh, youngsters and you know school kids it will bring it to life because it's about things that they have to deal with or you know that they they deal with on a day-to-day basis which is money so the more that we have that is populated in the curriculum that is about money um, the better I think because that then we'll start to promote a culture of of savings and investments, which we so badly need in our in 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 our yes. um, in our country, without a doubt, Liz. Because and again, you've hit the nail on the head. Because there's only so much that can be done without the involvement of the curriculum in schools. Yeah, uh, and you know, you can, as you've pointed out very well, uh, companies can try all they all they might, but it's difficult if it's not a, a joint effort. Uh, yeah, and I think as um, uh, for example, uh, with with the new government we have, there have already been positive noises at the very least. Whether they become actions is another <laughs> thing entirely regarding what you could consider a, for, uh, uh, a far more applied mathematics in, in a lot of uh, uh, the system. But ty- time will tell. And that's something I think we could probably dedicate in the next hour to. Elizabeth. Yes, I think you're right. <laughs> we probably shouldn't. Um, now, looking at and a couple of the points to pick up that you've already raised, 
here, Liz. Uh, and it goes back to the word you've already said, which is uncertainty. Uh, it, it seemed as if the markets, investors, people, we've been in a state of limbo for the last three and a half years. Uh, we're talking, of course, three months after, two months after uh, a general election that resulted in a, a large majority with the Conservative Party, and therefore at least we have now uh, uh, left the European Union without without dragging you down the political rabbit hole here, at least. Is there a hope now that because of that clarity, we may start to see a far more s- s- far more certainty in the market. And what are your hopes for the next twelve months? Um, I think I think that that we've still got a little way to go because um, whilst you know thirty first of January came and went, um, you know we're now we're now in a negotiation period. We're now in a transition period, mm-hmm. um, and for for UK. Um, savers and uh, and investors uh, in terms of where the rules are made there's still there's still not some clarity about that um you know we're we're still uh, well we don't know yet whether we're still tied um, or will be tied to the um european rulemaking um down the line that's still to be negotiated i mean we've always said that actually for for savers and investors we need stability in the markets and we need access to funds um however it, you know the, the majority of our of our firms look after uk savers um and therefore a one of the positives we see is the ability to have a a rule book that makes sense for UK savers and investors and UK firms. Um, so there's an, uh, we think that there's an opportunity there with w- definitely without um, watering down regulation. So we're definitely not talking about less regulation. Yes. What we're talking about is smarter mm. regulation, which makes sense for firms and makes sense for clients. Um, and as we've got a very unique Industry in terms of savings and investments um, um, in Europe, in Europe, England or U- the UK rather, and and Ireland are unique amongst our European counterparties. So when you have a European rule book or a rule book that is set in Europe that doesn't bear any relation to the model of intermediation that we have here, that has caused us problems in the past, and we're hoping that we will be able to affect that in the future with a local regulator and a local rule maker. But we will see. That is still all part of the of the melting pot. So whilst I'd like to be posit- positive and, and optimistic about the market, <laughs> um, we've still got this period um, of uh, of negotiation and uh, until we see where we go to with that. Uh, and of course, you've got financial services and fisheries amongst yes, the same two, piece, you know. Famous <laughs> fellows, aren't they? Indeed, um, absolutely, absolutely. So we've still got to wait and see, I think. Absolutely. Um, and it will be an uh, interesting year, if nothing else. Um, yes. uh, now, you, you, you mentioned there, at least uh, the role of, uh, of course, regulators. I know uh, in the last month or so, obviously, uh, uh, PIMFA has. Uh, given its fair amount of critique to um, the FCA, um, are they at the moment doing their job correctly? Um, I think part I I don't envy the regulator one iota. Um, 
I think if you look at the the number of people that they have in the supervisory team and the number of firms that they have to regulate, um, it, it, it is not an enviable job um, by any stretch of the imagination. Yes, we have been critical, not least of all because we are expecting um, better supervision to prevent firms from failing and certainly to prevent firms from failing in the spectacular way that they have uh, in the last few years, which has impacted on the size of the financial services compensation scheme levy. And this levy is paid for by by firms within the industry. And our firms are a majority of small to medium-sized firms, and their bills have gone up exponentially. Our criticism is that, you know, we we don't object to having an FSCS levy um, or, you know, the lifeboat funds to pay, you know, recompense to to consumers. Uh, and, and our view is, has always been that the polluter pays, but the polluters have, have long since folded by the time it comes to any payment, which means that good firms are paying for bad firms. So the system, we believe, is broken. Um, and, and I think that is about the regulatory perimeter. Um, you know, what is it that the, that the lifeboat fund should be protecting? The perimeter is too big. So that, you know, what is the nature of risk? That all needs to be um, uh, redefined, we believe, and recalibrated, which then enables you to determine well, if that's what risk is, then how do we protect it and how do we levy for it? Mm. Um, and that is all linked to better supervision. So that is something we have been critical about. Um, we're in the process of finalizing a paper, uh, which we um, which we have positioned in a constructive manner, which is these are some of the things that we believe FCA, you should be looking at in your supervisory process, and we want to help you to do your job better. Now, I I know there's no such thing as a a magic wand, Liz, and perhaps it'll be putting you on the spot. <laughs> but if let's imagine, let's let's imagine you did have one just for the just for this afternoon, perhaps, and you were able to change one thing about that uh, system. And perhaps I shouldn't ask this because if your report isn't out yet, you might well not want to reveal something that's in it. Um, but if you could. <laughs> Um, what would be your number one priority? If we, if we were to, if I, were, my number one priority to to solve the system in terms of reform. In terms of reform, mm. what regulatory yeah, reform yes. you mean? Um, I think. Oh goodness me, the one thing. Um, it is a bit of a mean I, question. Uh, it <laughs> is. Gosh, yes. Wow. Um, I, I think it's about the regulatory perimeter. Sure. Um, I, I think let's have a look at the regulatory perimeter. Um, which is, you know, gives some certainty to to clients about what is protected and what is not protected, which also then gives some assurity both to them and also to the advisors who have to advise those clients on what what's the pathway to success for them and what and and I think if there's some clarity around all of that, then everybody will be will be better off. Great. Now, I'm conscious of the time here, Liz. It's already catching up with us. So perhaps if we can take a, a little step back and uh, and look at, um, at the operations of PIMFR again, it's what PIMFR do, does so well is its ability to build relationships with so many uh, different 
uh, organisations. Can that really, Liz, be underestimated, the importance of having those working relationships with, with the departments and the organisations that you do have? No, I don't. I, I think it's absolutely fundamental um, to any business, actually. But it's certainly something that that we have in the middle of the stick of rock that is PIMFA. Uh, I mean, we talk about the, you know the values that we have as an organisation. We we are a small organisation. Uh, and we can't do our job unless we work in partnership and collaboration with others. So relationship building um, and maintaining and creating a good foundation of relationships is absolutely fundamental to what we do. Without a doubt. And I think that's the key point, Liz, isn't it, that that's so applicable to any realm, whether it's business or, or politics or uh, any areas of life. And I think and because of the time here, we... We, I, I must start to wrap up, but um, perhaps I can ask Liz, looking forward, and I know the next 12 months is full of uncertainty, what are uh, the plans PIMFA has for it nonetheless? Um, so I think our, well, our key priority this, this next 12 months is, is, is to be talking um, much more, um, and we, we, we have been lobbying uh, a fair bit on this, but because of Brexit, um, our ability to actually kind of get into um, see the policymakers on both sides, I think, to have that dialogue has been a challenge. Um, but we're finding that that is changing. That you know they they want to hear from us. So I think our priority is around that regulatory perimeter. Um, and what does what does regulation look like for uh, for us moving forward? But at the same time, it's not just about the future of regulation, but it's also about the future of supervision, mm. because the two of those go hand in hand. Um, so those those two um, are kind of what are, are the main the main areas over the course of this next year. Having said that, um, you know we have a manifesto that's got six that's got six pillars in it um, and regulation and supervision and the future of that is, is just um, kind of, is just one of those things. There are a whole host of another, of other things promoting the sector as a, as a force for good and as an integral part of a, of an individual's kit bag um, for financial and mental wellbeing uh, is, is another key strand of, of activity. So I think future of regulation, future of supervision, and then promoting the sector as an integral part of uh, of um, everybody's kit bag in building their personal financial futures. Well, Liz, there might never be uh, a more important year, uh, or has not been in a while, that will determine the future of all of those things, and perhaps never a year where so many people pay attention to what happens to Britain's fish stocks. Um, but it's been Liz, an absolute pleasure discussing that uh, leadership with you today. Uh, I hope very much we can sit down perhaps later this year uh, when there's a bit more clarity perhaps and talk through a few more things. Thank you. I would love to do that. Liz, thank you very much. Thank you. This has been the Leaders Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence in leadership with us. I've been your host, Scott Challoner. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders' Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, its parent company or subsidiaries, members of staff, or other guests of any other person therein associated.